This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Welcome to the latest episode of the AJ Bell Money and Markets podcast. I'm Dan Coatesworth, and this week we'll be looking at why investors have suddenly gone off tech stocks. Joining me on the show is Danny Hewson. Hello, Dan. I'll be exploring the latest figures on inflation and why travel stocks are finally back in favour with investors. And later on in the show, we'll start a new series looking at investment options in various parts of the world. Tom Sieber will be joining us to talk about the US market. And we'll also be hearing from Artemis US Select Fund Manager Cormac Weldon on his thoughts for US shares in 2022. Terry Smith's latest thoughts on the popular Fundsmith Equity Fund have been published and yeah, he's got some choice words to say about Unilever. We'll discuss those later in the show, along with some fascinating stats on the car market. First, though, let's address the big question on many investors' minds this year. Why have tech stocks suddenly gone out of favour? Yeah, that's right. It's not been a great start to 2022 for anyone invested in technology stocks. So we've seen this big sell-off and it looks like there's a market rotation towards value-style stocks. But before I sort of explain why, um, Danny, perhaps you can sort of put some figures on it and give us some examples of how things have moved and perhaps how some of the big indices have performed. Well, let's um, pick up with the tech-heavy Nasdaq index because that gives us a really good idea of how tech stocks are performing. And frankly, Monday was a doozy. It dropped 4.8% before recovering some losses to trade down 3.6%. But the sell-off as a whole left the index down almost 10% from November's peaks. And of course, anything bigger than a 10% drop is considered a correction. And it did skid into that territory for a while. So shares in those big success stories of recent years, household names, Netflix, Amazon, Google owner Alphabet, all tumbled as the world eyes the end of COVID and of ultra cheap money, which of course supported economies throughout the pandemic. Now, the biggest losers in Monday's trading included microchip maker ASML, fitness bike maker Peloton and gym wear brand Lululemon. And it wasn't just the US, US investors that uh, got burned because there was some bad news as well for British savers. Investment trusts with large holdings in US tech companies also took a hammering. We had Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust down 4.9%. Bailey Gifford US Growth Trust was down 4.5%. And Allianz Technology Trust fell 5.7%. We also had three straight days of losses on the European Stocks Index. And Asian tech stocks also took a beating. But Tuesday... A different beast. It's not called Turnaround Tuesday for nothing. Not only did US markets rebound, but we saw similar moves in Europe and Asia. So the Hang Seng Tech Index was up nearly 5%, Tencent rallying 4.52%, and Alibaba up 5.89%. And Scottish Mortgage Trust that I was just talking about, well, that led the recovery in the UK on Tuesday, topping the FTSE 100 gainers. So it's been a really interesting period of time. Lots of movement, but volatility, definitely the name of the game. 
Yeah, and I think we're recording this on Wednesday, the 12th of January, just before US markets are about to open. And it looks like they're going to have quite a good day again. So um, the idea that tech stocks have gone out of favour, it, it perhaps, is, perhaps is not the right thing to say. Tech stocks have um, been suffering, perhaps, because people, investors have been prepared to pay less for them. But I still think that there's still, you know, there is a group of people very interested in this area and perhaps are looking to buy on the dips, um, taking advantage of these sort of recent share price weakness. But um, I just put it into some context about what why it's happened. So if you go back to um, the Federal Reserve's latest monthly meeting, in its minutes, it implied that a tight jobs market and ongoing inflation could actually result in more aggressive change in monetary policy. So that that would essentially mean that interest rates could go up sooner than expected. So a lot of technology companies trade on high valuations with the hope of large profit growth in the future. And because these types of stocks are very sensitive to rising rates. Now, the market works out what a future stream of cash flow earnings is going to be worth today. And then if there's changes in bond yields and interest rate expectations, these play a key role in this calculation. So if we have higher interest rates, that reduces the present value of the expected cash flow and essentially means investors just don't want to pay as much for these tech-related stocks. Now, you also have to consider that many of these fast-growing companies have benefited from borrowing money cheaply to fund their expansion and as well as sort of using this finance to buy back their own shares, which has helped to drive up the share price. Now, if rates do go up, it becomes more expensive to borrow money and therefore investors are getting the jitters really over whether some of the more speculative technology companies might find life a bit tougher, certainly those who are loss making. And um, I'm sure everyone listening to the podcast is aware that the cost of living has gone up and Minutes before we started recording this episode, we had some key data out of the United States, which many investors had been working for, and that was the latest inflation figures. And it's interesting because although US prices are rising at their fastest rate in almost 40 years, inflation up 7% year on year in December, this hasn't caused jitters in the market because this figure was very much in line with expectation. Now, the rise, obviously, in the cost of borrowing, which the US central bank is looking to introduce, is aimed at reducing demand by making purchases such as cars more expensive. And cars have really been driving the increase because they've been in short supply. And we're going to be talking a bit more about cars later on. But what's interesting is that this month we've actually seen energy prices drop slightly, 0.4% down between November and December, the first decline since April. But, you know, over 12 months, energy costs in the US up nearly 30%. And it has sort of gone back a little bit in the last few days. But it does also, for many investors, sort of adds to this idea that inflation is going to be somewhat transitory. The thought that this 7%, now it has met expectation, might be getting towards the high point. Lots of analysts are saying that US inflation could well peak sort of February time. And if that is the case, then that will certainly 
change the way investors think about the year going forward. And um, it's something that we're going to have to pay close attention to, not just, of course, in the United States, but also here in the UK. And we've got the latest UK inflation figures out next week. Yeah, I don't know. We've just had quite a lot of um, retailers update on how they traded over Christmas. You know, one would have thought with you know inflation rising that consumers might not be able to afford as much. But it seems like we've had a bit of a bumper Christmas in terms of um, buying things in the shops, whether it's clothing, toys, and food. Um, so you know, there was a lot of concern that this inflation is going to be you know disastrous for everyone. But so far. It's it's people seem to be coping it quite well. I guess when we see the um, the change in energy prices in the coming months um, with, with the energy cap, that could put a lot more pressure on household finances. But I you know, say it's so far so good for markets that yes, there's been volatility, but um, I still think that there's there's a general appetite for investors to keep their money invested in in sort of equities. Certainly, some extent in into bonds as well, and you know there are plenty of examples of companies that have done quite well this year. You know, we, we talk about a tech sell off, but there's equally there's that you know not everything will fall. Oil producers, Shell and BP, they're up nearly ten percent since the start of January. Banks have been doing quite well on the stock market this year in, in the UK, particularly about talk of rising interest rates because they they can uh, benefit from the ability to charge customers more. Uh, on sort of personal loans. Now, oil and banks fall under the category of value stocks. You know, they're delivering sort of low to medium levels of growth now, rather than tech companies where the excitement's all about earnings into the future. But um, so there's this chatter that investors are sort of looking much more closely at value style things. The, the idea of getting jammed today rather than jammed tomorrow. Um, and so I do think there's going to be lots of talk about market this market rotation in the coming weeks and months. Um, but of course, we've seen with value stocks don't tend to stay in fashion for for that long based on history. They go through spurts of being doing very well. And then that sort of hunger for, for faster growth comes back again. So um, I, I imagine there's going to be a, a real sort of seesaw movement between value and sort of fast growth this year as the sort of as as we go towards into so, so as we progress into 2022 another sector which we're seeing quite a bit of volatility is the travel sector because of course they have been absolutely battered by changing restrictions but since the start of the year travel stocks have actually done quite well we had really seriously good figures for December from Wizair. They were able to bring prices right down, which of course meant if you were a traveller, then maybe you didn't mind so much if things changed and you weren't actually able to take the flight because it hadn't cost you that much in the first place. But since uh, the start of the year, in fact, on Friday, the government announced big changes for UK travellers. And from four o'clock Friday morning, the Friday that's just been, fully vaccinated travellers coming to England no longer have to take a test before they travel. And from a couple of days later, Sunday, just a couple of days ago, um, you then only had to take a lateral flow test on day two after arrival, not a PCR test. Now, that, of course, is for people who are fully vaccinated over the age of 12, uh, because people who aren't fully vaccinated must still take PCR tests on both day two, day eight after arriving and isolate for 10 days. 
But all of this has basically made it much cheaper for, for people to travel abroad. And there are a lot of changing restrictions going on as well. I've just seen in the last few minutes that uh, it looks like uh, France is set to reopen its borders ahead of the half-term holiday for UK travellers. But as you would expect, that has had an impact on travel stocks. So I've taken a look at how they've performed since the 4th. We have um, Jet 2 up 6%, EasyJet up 3.5%, um, IAG, the uh, British Airways owner, up 3.15%. TUI up almost 1%, uh, similarly for On the Beach, but Wizz Air has actually dropped back since it had such a, a good showing with its last uh, trading update. But it just goes to show, you know, as the world changes, as countries get used to this living with COVID idea, then there will be opportunities. So perhaps stocks that haven't fared so well after over the last two years might now be worth taking another look at. So while we're on the subject of travelling the globe, over the next four weeks, we're going to explore ways in which to invest in different parts of the world. Now, we thought it would be useful to look at some of the big stocks in key regions, the stock market indices that really matter, and to also get the views of experts who spend all day looking at these geographies. So in the coming weeks, we'll speak to fund managers about investing in the UK, Europe and Asia, but to kick off the series this week, we're going to look at the US market. Yes, some of the best stock market returns have come from the US in recent years. It's home to many of the world's biggest companies, such as Amazon and Walmart. You've also got Netflix, Walt Disney, Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer, Coca-Cola and McDonald's trading on the US stock market. Um, and over the past year, more than a third of the gains in the US S&P 500 index have come from a mere five companies. These are Microsoft, Apple, Tesla, NVIDIA, and Google's owner, Alphabet. These are all a play on technology, semiconductors, and online advertising. Yeah, so the S&P 500 is one of the main US stock market indices. In fact, it represents about 80% of the whole US market by value. I think the other two key indices to watch are the NASDAQ and the Dow Jones. Now, more than half of the NASDAQ index is technology stocks. So this has become the benchmark whenever someone wants to know how tech is performing. Yes, and the Dow Jones full name is the Dow Jones Industrial Average, but that's actually a bit misleading. It would suggest it's only about industrial companies. Initially, it was focused on the heavy industry sector, but over time, other sectors have become more important. It only has 30 companies in it, and these include some of the most prominent names listed in the US, including Microsoft, Caterpillar and Boeing. All the stocks in the Dow are typically included in the S&P 500 as well, where they generally make up around 25% to 30% of its market value. So I think it's worth giving you some ideas of the returns from various US markets relative to other territories. So over the past five years, the Nasdaq has returned 169%, the S&P 500 106%, and the Dow Jones 83%. Now that compares with just 25% from the UK's leading index, which is the FTSE 100, and a mere 4% from the Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index. Now, these figures are total return, which is capital gains or losses and dividends. So this scale of outperformance by the US is a key reason why so many investors are looking at the region for investment opportunities. The downside is that a lot of the stocks in the US are trading on very high valuations compared to history. 
Now, before we talk about ways in which you can get exposure to the US market, let's bring on an expert who has managed money in US investments for most of his career, working for the likes of Provident Mutual, Threadneedle, and now Artemis. Cormac Weldon manages the Artemis US Select Fund, which features a portfolio of the best ideas generated by him and his team. Dan caught up with Cormac just before Christmas, and this is what he has to say on investing in the US. So Cormac, a lot of people think the US is just about the large tech stocks. But what else is on offer if you look at the big indices such as the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones? You know, it's a a good question. And and you're right, the tech stocks get a lot of the headlines. Um, Well, I mean, one example would be the banking industry. Uh, I know not everyone's most favorite industry, but when you think of uh, global banks, uh, U.S. banks are certainly have actually got stronger and stronger. Um, if you think of a J.P. Morgan or a Goldman Sachs uh, as an example, they used to have much stronger competition from European banks, uh, but because of the problems in the European banking industry, you know they're, they're they're now even more dominant than they were before. Uh, and then you've got you know a wide range of healthcare companies. Um, uh, obviously, we've seen uh, not just in the U.S., but we've seen some great innovation around COVID with the vaccines and now uh, with the treatments um, uh, coming out of the U.S. So the U.S. healthcare industry is also actually quite large. And then you've got consumer brands you know, that, that we're all used to, whether it's Procter and Colgate, Procter and Gamble or Colgate, etc. So, so there, there's an awful lot there, a lot of, a lot of good companies. Perhaps not quite as exciting as large tech, but still, still very uh, uh, great companies to invest. Yeah. So, what what are the main industries that you um, sort of invest in across the different Artemis funds that have got U.S. exposure? Yeah. Well, we we like the banking industry at the moment, or, or the financial industry, and, and really the reason for that is, is that the economy is growing uh, quite strongly. Uh, when the economy grows, people tend to borrow money to either spend on their credit card or businesses borrow money to invest in their business. So, so when you think about the economy doing well, um, banks tend to benefit in that environment. But the other one would be in industrial companies. Uh, an example would be uh, people who make tractors. Uh, you obviously, John Deere, the big green ones. Uh, we own uh, we own a company called Agco, which make the red ones, uh, Massey Ferguson. Uh, so, so farmer farm incomes are strong at the moment uh, because crop prices have gone up, and so therefore farmers have a lot to invest, uh, a lot of money uh, that they can invest in new equipment, and that's becoming increasingly important because, uh, believe it or not, technology in tractors is increasing dramatically. So farmers are getting an awful lot of help from the technology that are in in the new equipment. Where do you sort of stand on stocks like Tesla and Amazon and Netflix? Are you invested in these? Or if you're not, is there something, what don't you like about them? Yeah, well, the way we invest is whenever we're investing our our clients' money, we want to know two things. First of all, if, if the investment works out as well as we think, how much money will we make? But at the same time, we have to think, well, you know, we're wrong sometimes. Uh, and we want to know, well, if it goes wrong, how much money will we lose? Uh, for some of the, the companies you mentioned, I, Tesla is a great example. Uh, we could see how we might have made a lot of money, and indeed we would. But at the same time, we thought there were significant risks involved. Uh, and so therefore, we, we haven't typically been invested in Tesla. We do own Amazon. We think that will likely uh, be, uh, will continue to prosper. Okay. So US equities have actually been really strong performers for quite a while. So do you think 
the returns that we've seen in the last decade could actually continue for the foreseeable future? Well, I mean, over, over longer periods of time, equity markets tend to return on average uh, about 7% or so, 7 8%. Uh, and I, I think the long-term average is probably still a good one to bear in mind when you're investing. Now, the markets have done very well more recently, but that's after uh, doing quite poorly you know, during the initial phases of COVID. There's been a strong recovery. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think um, uh, the U.S. Is, is with the economic growth and the businesses being run well, uh, that, yeah, we can still absolutely make money in U.S. equities. Yeah. So, so Joe Biden's been in power for about a year. Do you think his policies have had a sort of positive impact on business and therefore the stock market? Or um, the flip side, we've got plans for higher taxes. So that would hurt corporate profit margins. And you know, could that weigh on share prices going forward? Yeah, no, that, it's, it's, it's a good question. Certainly... Uh, both the uh, government, the Biden, as policy and, and the stimulus that they provided, increasing unemployment benefits would be one example of that, um, um, uh, have helped the economy. Uh, they've helped consumers uh, such that now consumers have actually got quite a lot of savings uh, as, as, uh, at the end of this year. A lot of that having come from the government. Um, so those policies have helped, as have obviously the Federal Reserve, which is independent of lowered interest rates. So broadly, um, the, the institutions of either government uh, have, have been very supportive of, of the economy. Um, in, in terms of, of taxes, it's a, it's a great question. Uh, Biden's plans was to have another very significant uh, amount of stimulus, uh, $5 trillion, which would have had to be paid by increasing taxes. That stimulus is going to be an awful lot less if indeed it even happens. And so in actual fact, the tax increases that were proposed are, are that, that are going to happen will either be nil or, or not as much as we feared. Um, some of it though, uh, that the tax increases that are likely to get through will be on larger companies uh, and not smaller companies, which is good obviously uh, um, when, when one invests in smaller companies in the US uh, we think so. We think the taxes won't go up as much as feared. Okay. And so, you know, finally, just what's your outlook for next year? Are you sort of quite enthusiastic about, um, as a, from an investment perspective, about making money? Well, yes, we, we think we still make money. It will not be as much as this year. Uh, this year has been a very strong year for markets, so we sure, certainly shouldn't think uh, that that continues into next year. Um, earnings should continue to grow. Um, so that's all obviously positive in the companies you invest in. Uh, there is a complication, though, and that we're likely to start to see interest rates go up, we think. Um, and whenever that happens, obviously, the markets can sometimes question how high they'll go up. Will they slow down the economy? Now, we, th we don't think. We think the Fed will behave in a way to not slow down the economy much uh, so that we continue to have economic growth and rising earnings. So we think it should be pretty decent, but maybe a bit more volatile than this year. Yeah. Okay, Cormac, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Now we've had these insights into the US markets, the next thing to consider is how to get exposure as an investor, assuming this region is of interest to you. Fortunately, it's easy. Most investment platforms in the UK will let you buy US listed shares, certainly the bigger ones. And you just need to fill out a W8BEN form so that the investment platform can claim a US tax reduction for you on dividends from US shares. Withholding tax rates can be reduced from 30% to 15% or to 
0% if your shares are held in a SIP. So if you don't want to hold individual shares, an alternative route is to put money into a fund or uh, buy shares in a relevant investment trust or exchange traded fund, which tracks one of the main US indices. So you can buy a US specific fund or investment trust, or you can actually look at some of the global funds as many of them will have a high weighting to the US market. So next week, we're going to look at the options for investors across the UK stock market. And Simon Brazier from the 91 UK Alpha Fund will be on the show to give his views on the market. I'm really looking forward to hearing the rest of the Round the World series. And just a a reminder, of course, if there is a particular topic that you'd like us to discuss here on the podcast or anyone that you think we should be chatting to, please email podcast at ajbell.co.uk and we'll do our best to get that sorted. We also want to hear from you any feedback on the podcast, any questions that you have, do get in touch. Um, Dan, this caught your eye, I know. It certainly caught my eye. Fundsmith Equity Fund Manager Terry Smith, always worth seeing what he's got to say, and published his annual letter to shareholders. His fund remains one of the most popular among UK investors here in the UK. And the letter, it was interesting. Yeah, so I I think some of the best things about Terry Smith is his comment on companies because he certainly doesn't hold back when he's got perhaps a bee in his bonnet. He's got he's very opinionated and actually, you know, he's a smart chap. And I think that you know he's he's you should always read this letter, which comes out every January. Um it's got some really interesting things to think about. Um and this time around He had a few choice words to say about Unilever, which is one of the stocks in the Fundsmith equity fund portfolio. So he said that Unilever seemed to be labouring under the weight of management obsessed with publicly displaying sustainability credentials at the expense of focusing on the fundamentals of the business. So first of all, he sort of pointed to Unilever's refusal to supply Ben and Jerry's ice cream in the West Bank. But then he gave perhaps a more extreme example. He said that the fact that Unilever felt it had to define the purpose of Hellman's mayonnaise meant the company had clearly lost the plot. Now, he, <laughs> <laughs> so he sort of pointed out that Hellman's brand has been around since 1913. So we would have guessed by now that people know its purpose. And, and Terry Smith said, spoiler alert, salads and sandwiches so so what i thought it's interesting that he's made some really punchy comments criticism here of this business so you would have thought he doesn't like it but actually um you also have to think that unilever is one of the worst performing stocks in his portfolio in 2021 but despite these things he still remains invested in the stock he thinks it's a strong brand and its distribution will triumph in the end. And it just goes to show he, he isn't afraid to um, sort, of, sort of point the finger at people and say, you know, you could do a lot better. And I guess if you're a shareholder, um, you know, you've got even more influence. And of course, this this story and these comments is being picked up quite widely. So it'll be interesting to see if, if you know, if Unilever's got anything to say. Because so far, I, I've just seen the no comment sort of line um, in sort of articles <laughs> in response to Terry Smith's comments. What's fascinating, though, of course, is that there's so much discussion around at the moment about ESG, environmental, social governance, and so many funds which are just focused on those things. 
And Terry Smith wasn't saying that companies shouldn't strive to do better, strive to make their place in the world better. But he was saying that they shouldn't then not realise that fundamentally what they were about is making money, making a profit. And it was all well and good to focus on getting the message right, getting production right, looking after staff, as long as fundamentally they weren't taking their eye off the really important ball. Yeah. I mean, Unilever's not done particularly well uh, under the sort of on the stock market in recent years. Um, so I think that, you know, this this could just add to pressure. It's already been singled out as a potential target for an activist investor saying maybe it's time for, for the company to sort of pull up its socks and uh, see if it can sharpen its focus a bit. Dan, before we wrap up, have you seen the prices of cars recently? Because I've been looking for a second-hand car and they've gone bananas. Yeah, definitely. I bought my first ever car last year, which was a second-hand one. Um, and I couldn't believe how much they all cost. But yeah, I certainly am aware. Yes. Yeah. Well, you're not the only one who is aware because um, Auto Traders Retail Price Index looks at uh, hundreds of thousands of vehicle. And um, it has said that the average price of a used car surged by over 30% in December. And that is because of high consumer demand. So we've all been talking an awful lot about that global microchip shortage, semiconductors, which, of course, are an integral part of modern car making these days. So what's happened is the number of new cars on the forecourt has not been as great as normal, which has meant that people have then had to look for used cars. And all of that, of course, came at a time when people maybe were a bit concerned about taking public transport. So they decided that they were going to invest in a car for the first time so that they could be COVID secure when they were traveling to and from work, despite, of course, the fact that there's huge amounts of safety measures which are put in for public transport to be safe and secure. But the market has just gone absolutely bonkers. And it stored up a big problem because usually what happens is those new cars that are sold, they then, after a year, end up on the forecourt as a used car. And that is not going to filter through. So demand's going to be really interesting to see over the next few months. And in fact, Tesla has just had record car sales of China-made vehicles in December, over 70,000. And there's a lot of changes going on in the automotive sector at the moment. But one thing that really caught my eye that's been really interesting is that there's also been some serious action in the luxury market as well. And Jenny Owens here is to give us the latest numbers from Rolls-Royce. And Jenny, it seems they've had a pretty good year because the mega-rich have decided life is too short to wait for what you want. Yeah, there's one group of people who we can all collectively feel sorry for during the pandemic, no matter your background, and that's the super rich. Uh, I hope my sarcasm's coming across strong enough, uh, but they've been dealing with COVID-19 very differently to the rest of us. Uh, Rolls-Royce confirmed that they sold a record 5,586 cars in 2021, the most in their 117-year history. This was reportedly because their super-rich customers realised that life can be short and you better splash the cash now than postpone until a later date. Their CEO said he's seen the entire luxury business sector booming worldwide, partially because people couldn't travel so spent their money on luxury goods. 
Rolls-Royce cars, including their new electric models, tend to sell for £233,000 to £432,000, and most owners generally have more than one of the brand's vehicles. But if you're keen to add to your collection, delivery is currently running at one year. So if you ordered your Ghost today, you're looking at early 2023 for delivery. Alternatively, if you fancy one of their huge boats, you'll be looking to fork out about 20 mil and that would be a real treat. Well, thank you for the warning, Jen, about uh, having to wait a year for my roles. I shall be sure to uh, mark it on the calendar. (laughs) (laughs) What is interesting, though, Dan, is the switch that we're going to see over the next year as more and more people head towards electric, because maybe working from home, they don't need to drive as many miles and it becomes more of an option for them. And I know certainly Rolls are uh, launching an electric, fully electric vehicle as well. But uh, it's going to be a really interesting one to keep an eye on. Yeah, I I guess it's all down to um, the affordability of these cars. The average person um, might still view that electric vehicles are too expensive, but you know, I, I guess the, the the direction of travel is for them expected to be down and down and, and more affordable. But yeah, you're right. It's a certainly a, certainly a place to watch, and um, you know, we 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 might actually do look into uh, some bits around the electric vehicle industry in a coming podcast, uh, potentially around some of the um, sort of materials that go into them. But uh, I'll leave that uh, for another time. But that's it for this. This week, don't miss next week's episode where our trip around the investing world stops off in the UK. Until then, thanks very much for listening. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.